Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, May 2nd, 2022. On the show today, news, theme park surveys, and in our main segment, Jim finishes up the history of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, and we figure out what Disney can do to keep it alive. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that you shouldn't wear Harley Davidson shirts if you don't listen to his music. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It is going well, Len. And yes, given the number of bikers who wear a lot of leather, it's just sort of like, if you wear that much leather at this point, you should be a cow. (laughs) I will say this. I've been to Sturgis during the Harley Davidson Festival there. Have you really? The nicest group of people you will ever meet in your entire life, Jim. Just really friendly, open, cool people. Yes, Mm -hmm. it was... Uh, I was in Wyoming and got lost. Have we ever this is a story for another time. In Wyoming, got lost, ended up in South Dakota uh, at Sturgis. But yeah, just super fun. Everybody's mellow. Yeah, it was a great time. I, I heartily recommend it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Not what I expected, but cool. And now that I have my motorcycle endorsement, yeah, I can definitely do that. I'd be bringing a, the Vespa scooter to Sturgis, but but again, like I think they would be cool with it, right? Worst case scenario, put a couple of baseball cards in the spokes. <laughs> the thing I'd have to figure out, mm-hmm. so the Vespas are you know with me in Florida here, and I'd have to figure out how I could get the Vespa to South Dakota using only 35-mile-an-hour streets. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a challenge for MapQuest right there, Jim. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it might be possible. I don't know. We'll see. All right. That are ways. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Maddie G, Bill N, and Skipper Dave, and longtime subscribers John Gregory, Kira M, and Richard Eppert. Jim, these are the Imagineers who are busy carving subtle images of Dwayne Johnson into the wet concrete at the new Moana Journey of Water walkthrough at Epcot. That is right, my friends. They are doing the rock work. True story, Jim. True story. (laughs) I was going to go the other way with that. Get the effect of forget about hidden Mickey's hidden rocks into rocks. But I like yours better. Okay. On to the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of this Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, uh, as a reminder, we're doing our second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World starting Friday, December 2nd. That's this year. And then next year, March 30th through April 1st, our group cruise on the Star Cruiser Halcyon. Thursday check-in, Saturday checkout. You can find all of this information at storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. Just one quick aside in regard to that trip to the Halcyon. I'm looking for the world's worst toupee. I mean, (laughs) Hank Lonely has to have the best horrible representation. So I just feel like I need a bad toupee to to do that. It has to be like two color shades different than your other hair. There we go. So is is your your gimmick here that it's going to be... uh, so obviously bad that no one speaks about it. Everyone just looks. There we go. <laughs> Shooting for that moment with, with you know, children oh. or daddy, bad hair, the man. <laughs> hush, child, hush. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's going to be great. Okay. All right, uh, Jim, you saw the news. Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party returns for 2022. 37 dates. That's one more than in 2019, I believe. Jim, it's the most dates ever. Wow. And it starts August 12th, which is four days earlier than 2019. Jim, is that 
Is that actually closer to Memorial Day than it is to Halloween? I'll have to do the math there, but geez, <laughs> I think you're right. Because again, that's what I associate Memorial Day with, fun size candy. Uh, 7 p.m. to midnight with uh, entry into the park at 4 p.m., so back to normal there. Uh, that does mean that the Magic Kingdom is going to close at 7 p.m. on many nights in 2022. Ticket prices range from $116 to $212 with tax. Tickets for all of the October dates except the one on October 2nd are between $169 and that $212, including tax. That's a lot. If you want to go to a Halloween party, they've increased the prices from, I believe, the uh, the most expensive ticket mm-hmm. in 2019 was $124. Oh. So that's a substantial price increase. But that tells you what Disney believes about the demand that's out there. Yeah. Waiting three years to get back to this point? Yeah, it'll be three years, yeah. I mean, they did the boo, uh, boo to you thing, but we all knew that that was a placeholder, right? Right, we did. And we expect all the characters to be back, et cetera, et cetera. So it'll be uh, back to normal. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, on to surveys. Uh, we mentioned uh, uh, for the last couple of shows that Universal Orlando has sent out a survey around a new after-hours event themed to Mardi Gras. And a ton of our listeners sent this in. So thanks to Danielle, Jeff, John, Brian, and many more who sent in their copy of this survey. Uh, Jim, this is one of the most interesting surveys that Universal Orlando has sent out in a long, long time for two reasons. One, the detail in this survey really shows you where they're thinking. And then number two, the number of options around price points is something where you don't normally see Universal asking these direct questions like, Mm -hmm. is this too much money for this? Is that too much money for this? Well, what about this much money for this, right? Mm -hmm. Something that we haven't traditionally seen from Universal. And I got to think, Jim... Universal's upping their analytics game. Like, I don't know if they've gone on a hiring spree here or what, but they're definitely doing much more survey research than we've seen them do in the last, I would say, five, 10 years. There is a giant property that is being built just down the street across from the convention center that perhaps will also- The Villages too, Jim? (laughs) Yes, of course. There we go. You know, uh, I mean, you know, going to do its own set of after-hours events, so- just Maybe that out there. you mentioned uh, down the street. Laurel and I were at CityWalk on mm-hmm. Tuesday. We went to uh, Vivo Italian Kitchen mm-hmm. have dinner with uh, with some of our friends. Uh, lovely time as always. But uh, mm-hmm. the thing that was amazing to me was you know Laurel has never really toured all of the different physical properties of Universal. Like she hasn't been to Endless Summer yet. Oh, okay. And to show her, you know, so we sort of like tooled around all of that while we were mm-hmm. um, out driving around and mm-hmm. and. I joke, and I've joked on this show, that Universal really needs a gondola system to connect everything together. But when when Laurel came up with that on her own, I'm mm-hmm. sure she listens to the show, right? Our wives definitely listen to the show, right, Jim? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to continue to believe that. Okay. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, Laurel came up with it on her own. She's like, you know what they need here? A gondola system. I'm like, yeah, maybe they do. Exactly right. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, Jim, here is the uh, here's the survey. And the introductory question is this. Imagine that Universal is considering a new after-hours Mardi Gras-themed event at Universal Studios Florida. This event would take place in the spring, offer limited crowds, and is separately ticketed, that is, not included with theme park admission. What kind of content would you expect to be offered 
at an event like this? So this is an open-ended question. And Danielle, who sent in our uh, first version of the survey, said, I'd expect to see special food and drinks either included or with an option to purchase a pass for a low price. Mm-hmm. Uh, expect to see party and parade entertainment, live music. All the rides and attractions are open, and it should be at least four hours. So uh, Danielle knows what she likes, and she uh, she likes what she knows. So yes, that is mm-hmm. a, a great option right there. And then the next question is, uh, how important would the following elements be in your decision to attend an after-hours Mardi Gras-style themed event at Universal Studios Florida? And the five op- options are extremely important, very important, moderately important, slightly important, and then not at all important. Uh, and so, Jim, I want you and our listeners to sort of like say how uh, how important this is for you. So okay. uh, dining styles, i.e. food tents, tasting menus, multi-course dinners. I'm thinking food is going to be very, very important, don't you think? Moderately important to very important in my case. But yeah, especially for a Mardi Gras event. Right, exactly. Uh, photo opportunities. Somewhat important, slightly. Right. Mm-hmm. Featured concert by known artists. I know this is a big deal for both food and wine and flower and garden and likewise a variety of Mardi Gras events, but I, I don't necessarily book a trip to Florida because it's like, ooh, three dog night. <laughs> I'm going to have more to say about that in the, like one more question because they actually give examples of bands. Okay. All right. Crowd level. Moderate to very important. I mean, if you're paying a significant price point, you want to be able to enjoy the experience, not be body to body. Exactly. Uh, price of the event ticket? Well, that circles back to the same question. You know, yeah. uh, it, it depends on what the price point is that, that actually going to impact my expectations for the event. Right. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's true for a lot of people. This is a uh, this is not an either or like like because the answer to one of these things influences everything else, right? There you go. Street musicians are a fun component. I mean, slightly important. Okay. Uh, overall event theming. Does that carry on into like the merch and, and that sort of thing? Because we live in a world where you don't have pictures. If you don't have the T-shirt, you didn't go. Didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. So they didn't specify this. Um, and there's not a – well, there's a photo opportunity section, but there's nothing for um, for other theming. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, type of cuisine offered at the event. Well, it's a Mardi Gras event, so there better be some etouffee. You know, I'm just saying. Sure. Access to rides, attractions during the event. That is super important for everyone. Uh, Street entertainment, stilt walkers, Mardi Gras characters. Again, a fun component, but also a fun component of when you go to the park while they're celebrating Mardi Gras. I'm surprised they don't mention the parade specifically, because I think the Mardi Gras parade is the the best thing about that event. I have to agree. If only for getting the opportunity to hit people in the face with beads. You know, I when I was on the parade float this year, we were specifically instructed not to throw directly at people. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and again, every time someone says something like that, all I want to know is what's the story behind the rule? Tell me what happened to make that a thing. Sort of parallel course here that just this past weekend, my family's first great granddaughter, Abigail Petrina Hill, was born. Oh, congratulations. Smuzzle up. But again, it's one of those things where, remember when, when babies are new, they tell you, don't touch the top of the head, the, the plates for their head, the skull haven't come together yet. And it's just, mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where it's like, don't touch the hot stove, you'll burn yourself. And yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> just want to pet it. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. But again, I did, fought the urge. And I, for, as far as I know, her SAT scores are still great. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Exactly. 
That's the important thing. There we go. <laughs> All right. Next question. How much do you enjoy each of the following activities? And the five answers are, I like this a lot. <laughs> I somewhat enjoy this. I neither like nor dislike this. I don't really enjoy this and I try to avoid it. Right. First thing, watching paint dry. Well, you have, to, <laughs> you have to have that control question, Len. Exactly. It's the, it's the question to make sure you're paying attention, right? Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Attending costume parties. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, there, are they, you think that the, this question, Jim, is directed to dressing up for the event? Or your New Orleans finest? I wonder if this exact same survey should have gone out for Galactic Star Cruiser. I'm just saying. Right. Okay, go on. Going to concerts. Mm-hmm. Visiting theme parks. Mm-hmm. visiting museums, attending food festivals or tasting events, and then watching parades. Mm, there's your parade thing. Interesting. All right. Next question was listed below are some special events that take place at other Orlando or Central Florida theme parks. Some are included mm-hmm. with park admission. Other requires a separate ticket. Please select any that you've experienced. So obviously the Walt Disney World things come first. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're mentioning everything. Festival of the Arts, Flower and Garden, Festival of the Holidays, Candlelight Processional, Mickey's Not So Scary, Mickey's Very Merry Christmas, Villains After Hours, other After Hours events, and so on. For years, you and I have talked about how Disney and Universal and that sort of thing never make decisions in a vacuum. No. And this is what we see this event we're talking about potentially competing with. And, you know, which of these have you attended? So The thing I'm I'm interested in here is what park they would put it at. So Disney's put festivals at Epcot. Mm-hmm. And increase them because they haven't invested in Epcot, right? That's why Epcot has festivals every month of the year, right? But Universal would be putting – they've really got two theme parks right now to put this event in. And this would obviously be at Universal Studios, right? Mm-hmm. The Mardi Gras because that's where it's at now. I wonder how long it would be. All right. Here's the next question and it's about concerts. This is why mm-hmm. I love this question. Mm-hmm. Mardi Gras after dark party and headliner concert experience. Experience an exclusive, intimate concert with a world-renowned artist such as Maroon Five, Ariana Grande, One Republic, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Bon Jovi, or Beyonce, along with an all-you-can-eat catered dinner. And let me just say, Jim, mm-hmm. when I'm grouping world-renowned artists together. <laughs> There, there is no taxonomy in which I put Beyonce and Maroon 5 in the same group, right? I mean, Beyonce would be such a vastly different experience at Universal than Maroon 5 that I don't even know why it's why she's represented here, right? Because when we like I would would I pay $500 to see Beyonce at, mm-hmm. at Universal? Absolutely right now. Mm-hmm. Would I pay $500 for Maroon 5? Not if Adam Levine himself was serving me the food. No way. <laughs> all right. All right. But it, you know, the whole notion is you're trying to appeal to all demographics, and there's at least five Maroon 5 fans out there. So, <laughs> at know. least five of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right. Go. All right. So, uh, so here's, the, here's the setup for the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, assume it's a four-hour event, 90 minutes of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the, you know, the set for the, uh, for the musicians. All you can eat catered dinner and non-alcoholic beverages are included with the event ticket. You also get two alcoholic beverages per person with ad- additional drinks available for purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most popular rides at Universal Studios Florida would be open to event guests, and there would be themed merchandise available for purchase. How much do you agree or disagree with the following statements about this event? This event is unique or unlike other theme park events. Fits within the Universal Orlando brand has enough to do, 
Sounds like an intimate or exclusive experience. Sounds like fun and is family friendly. Worth noting that the only one that didn't get the agree strongly was the family friendly one. Right. And I don't I don't know that it would necessarily be mm-hmm. family friendly because it would be at night involve alcohol in a rock mm-hmm. concert, right? So there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's okay. it's not that it's family unfriendly, but it's mm-hmm. not the kind of thing that I would bring a five year old to. Solid reasoning. The uh, the next question I like about this is again, assuming, you know, World-renowned artists such as Maroon 5. There we go. At what price point would you consider the event to be so expensive that you would not consider at all purchasing a ticket? And so Danielle put $170 for it. Mm -hmm. At what price per person would you think the event would be so cheap that you would feel the quality of the event couldn't be very good? And Danielle put $70. Mm You know, I would say at, at yeah, maybe that's about right. Like mm-hmm. anything under a hundred dollars, and I'd be like, eh, "What's really going on here?" At what price point per person would you consider the event starting to get expensive, so that it's not out of the question, but you'd have to give some thought to it? And I love this question, Jim, because mm-hmm. it's sort of like Universal asking where you would begin to bulk at the price, and they put one hundred and fifty dollars per mm-hmm. person. That's uh, Danielle's answer there, and that's that seems to be. Yeah, I mean, I would I would start to think at one hundred and fifty dollars. You know what's so funny is there's this famous story of Mike about Michael Eisner who they did surveys about Disney to the effect of okay, here's a Broadway show. It's three hours of music. It's dance. It's a cast on stage, flush theater seat, and now here's a Disney theme park with twelve hours of entertainment, a parade, and fireworks and attractions. It's Disney writing a survey looking for a result and to the effect of. Comparing these two, would you pay as much for admission to a Disney theme park as you would to see a Broadway show? And it right. was like, yes. And that then became the metric that Disney was supposedly chase- chasing when it was began pushing up the price of you know Disney theme park admission in, in the 80s into the 90s. The notion of let's try to get parallel with what they're paying for a Broadway ticket. I mean, think about it. The, the 150 you're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, that's you know uh, that that's, is that's actually the low end of what I would think a decent Broadway play ticket would cost for a good seat. There we go. But it gets you in the door. So it does. It does. Mm-hmm. So the the two other questions I love here um, from Universal: At what price per person would you consider the event to be a bargain? That is a mm-hmm. great buy for the money. Danielle mm-hmm. put a hundred dollars. Yeah, I would mm-hmm. agree. And then uh, final question, what would you actually expect to pay per person for this event? And Danielle put $140. So all of those answers make sense. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really good. Really. All right. So one last uh, question here. So uh, Universal is giving uh, a bunch of different scenarios here. And again, mm-hmm. imagine Maroon 5, Ariana Grande, One Republic, mm-hmm. et cetera, with the same event. Um, the question is, is how likely would you be to purchase a ticket for this event if it was $500, $499 plus tax. And the answers are very likely, likely, neither likely nor unlikely, unlikely, and then very unlikely. Danielle said for $500, I'm not going, very unlikely. Mm-hmm. But just for kicks, Jim, I uh, looked up the cost of a Bon Jovi concert ticket because Bon Jovi's mm-hmm. referenced and they're actually out on tour. It turns out that Mr. Jovi mm-hmm. performed last night in Nashville and you can get tickets in section 114, which is the mm-hmm. side of the main stage, mm-hmm. uh, seven rows back. But it's also the closest seat in that section, in that row, to the stage. And those tickets were around $250 per person with all fees and taxes. Uh, I'm not sure that Universal Orlando has the same quality of venue as a dedicated stadium with seating, but mm-hmm. that seems to be ballpark. 
you're not wrong. Wow. Okay. And that's with all without all the supporting stuff, the food, the right. uh, the rides, right? Yeah. The exclusive yeah. merch, the parades. I mean, you know, yeah, that's that is ballparky. Mm-hmm. I, agree. I will. Uh, uh, so, last question on the survey. Please rank these party concepts in order where one is the concept you would be most interested in attending. Hmm. And for this, Jim, they give six options with prices and party ideas. So the first one is Taste of Mardi Gras for $199. Unlimited food and alcoholic tastings themed to international flavors of carnival with culinary or mixology demonstrations, live New Orleans music, Mardi Gras characters, and photo ops but without rides or attractions. So basically, you're in the park for food. You've got some music, $199. Okay. The next one is Masquerade Ball for $299, which is Masquerade Ball attire with a cocktail hour and appetizers, followed by a three-course plated dinner with live music for dancing, king cake for dessert, and champagne toast. Food and beverages are included, but no rides or attractions. That's 300 bucks. Okay. You know, interesting though, masquerade ball. No one's really done official party, like an actual dress up, dress up party. But the reason why I like this, Jim, is it's still early enough in the year where uh, heat is not a problem. Because the last um, thing I want to do is wear a tuxedo when it's 97 degrees outside. Like that is. This is very true. Miserable. Yeah. Interesting point. Next one Mardi Gras After Dark Park and Concert Experience. For $249. Outdoor concert by a well-known artist, such as All-American Rejects, Becky G, Bare Naked Lady, Styx, and so on. Food and drinks available for purchase. And most rides at Universal Studios Florida open. Okay. Yeah. The weird part of that is given how much music, the concerts are a key element of Mardi Gras and that sort of thing already. It's kind of like, okay, so this is French vanilla next to, you know, vanilla bean, but okay. Right, so. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mardi Gras Block Party, $129, featuring three music party areas with Mardi Gras street performers, musicians, and photo ops, food and beverages available for purchase, and open access to most rides at Universal Studios Florida. Mm-hmm. Okay, so not well-known musical acts, but you do get the rides. Next one, uh, Mardi Gras Music Festival for $299. Mm-hmm. Top local bands and DJs, Mardi Gras themed street performers and themed photo ops, food and drink available for purchase, and open access to most rides. Just the fact that they use the word top local bands and DJs, obviously yeah. catering to the Orlando market, trying to get the locals to come out. The interesting thing for me there is the two options that they list, the Mardi Gras block party for $129 mm-hmm. and the Mardi Gras music festival for $299, so $170 more. The difference between those two things is just whether you're bringing in local bands Mm -hmm. or street performers. So the local bands themselves more than double the cost of that ticket. Mm, Kind of interesting. Mm. And that's actually more expensive than the well-known artist thing, Mm -hmm. which was $249. And Danielle, to her credit, said Mm -hmm. that, okay, for $50 less with a better well-known artist, I would rank that above everything else. So that makes sense. The last one, uh, Mardi Gras After Dark Park and Headliner Concert Experience for $500 is uh, all-you-can-eat catered dinner, the thing we talked about, two alcoholic mm-hmm. beverages, open rides, and then world-renowned artists such as Maroon 5 or Beyonce. Super okay. interesting survey. I agree. I agree. It just I'm fascinated why now. 
Because they have done after-hours things before. They have done, mm-hmm. like, Rock the Universe, the response to Disney's Night of Joy. You know, I think this is a thing where Universal is looking at this and saying, how can we sell our parks, you know, two times a day like Disney's doing to increase the revenue? Okay. And this is one of those options. I mean, you could substitute Mardi Gras for Halloween or Christmas. And they already have Halloween Horror Nights, right? But they don't really have a dedicated Christmas event in the same way that they do Halloween Horror Nights. They could do that, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no reason why they couldn't just do a, an actual music festival during the summer, right? That is a solid point. Okay. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, that's absolutely it. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues his talk about the history of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And I ask a bunch of lawyers how they would fight the state of Florida. <laughs> All coming up. We'll be right back. And we're back. All right, Jim. In last week's episode, we got up to the point where Walt had died and the Florida legislature was keen on ensuring that the Disney company picked the Florida project over the Mineral King Ski Resort in California. And the Florida legislature knew it had to come up with something big to entice Disney. Okay, previous shows, we've talked about how on November 15th, 1965, here's Governor Hayden Burns sharing a dais with Walt Disney's brother Roy at the Cherry Plaza Hotel. That's when the company shares its plan for Project Florida. What we haven't talked about yet, Len, is what happened one month later, on December 16, 1965, which is when a delegation of some of the most powerful people in Florida flew from Tallahassee to Burbank. We're talking about Fred Bud Dickinson, the state comptroller, J. Ed Strauman, who was the director of the Florida Revenue Commission, Wilkin McDuff, and Edward Coward, who were both prominent attorneys with the Attorney General's office. Jim, and if, I- you, if you told me the words Wilkin McDuff... I, and, I, and I did not say that's a law firm or a lawyer. I would be wrong, right? That's no. You're, you're, again, they, these are great names. Uh, and let's also not forget about Joseph Chapman, who is the administrative assistant to Governor Hayden Burns. This is December sixteenth. We are just basically a week out from Christmas at this point. I, but the way Hayden Burns looked at what Disney had laid out to the state of Florida, it's like, we cannot afford to wait. The Disney World Project, huge opportunity for the state of Florida. So we have to act with all due speed. So a month and a day after Walt spoke in pretty nonspecific terms, mind you, about what the company was going to do with that 43 square miles out in the swampland, here's a delegation from Tallahassee. They're personally meeting with Walt and Roy so they can better understand the whole of Walt Disney World's productions with the aim to make it as easy as possible for the mouse to quickly set up shop in Sunshine State. Right. Oh, Jim, so let's pause here real quick. So Fred Bud Dickinson, the state comptroller, mm-hmm. comptrollers are in charge of taxes mm-hmm. and tax law for the state. Mm-hmm. Likewise, J. Ed Strawn, the director of Florida Revenue Commission, is charged with collecting mm-hmm. those taxes. Okay. This is going to come in handy later on when we actually talk about the views of various control- comptroller and revenue offices throughout the state of Florida. Okay. You definitely picked up on the theme for the people who were sent out. It's like, (laughs) how are we going to make money off of this? So, uh, all right. Anyway, there's an article about this group visiting Walt Disney Productions in Burbank in the December 1965, January 66 issue of the Disney World, the in-house newsletter for the company. And so in that, Roy says, the reason these folks here, they needed to study our operation in considerable detail so they could then advise us on how Florida tax law will apply to our proposed project. 
So they spend the morning talking with Walt and Roy. Then they drive over to Wed, where they actually get to see for the first time themselves some of the ride shows and attractions that the company is considering bringing to Florida. And uh, by the way, given the after-hours party thing that we were just describing in the earlier portion of the show, just coincidentally, the day they're there touring Wed is also the day of the third annual Wed Maypo Open House. Oh, is it? Yeah, so, hey, you finished your tour, and hey, come down the hall. We got liquor, we got food, we got we got music. Hey, here's Dick Van Dyke. Hey, here's De- Dean Jones. Go over, get your picture. They, they just happen to be walking by, yeah. There we go. And then the next day, they drive down to Disneyland, and they get this uh, a backstage tour of the operation so with the notion of, okay, let me show you what it would, you know, what we're potentially talking about actually building in Florida. They then cut them loose for a couple of hours to actually ride some rides, experience the park, and then the evening ends with, again, the Florida delegation being Walt Disney's personal guests for the premiere of that year's Christmas parade. Oh. So the very next day, they get in a plane, you know, Sunday they fly home, Monday morning they walk into the Capitol and basically tell Governor Burns, is like, give Disney whatever the hell it wants. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes to everything. <laughs> yes. I mean, we have to bring this Florida to Florida. We are going to make so much damn money. And so we have the all-important presentation in February of 67, where they show folks in the Park West Theater in Winter Park the actual plans. I mean, there's 900 and eight movers and shakers from Central Florida who are there in the room who are just dazzled by this plan, which at that point is talking about developing 20,000 acres of the 27,750 acres that Disney owns in Central Florida. They're really excited about the theme park and the monorail resort, but it's especially phase two. The Epcot, the city, and the industrial park that was supposed to be built next door, which in Walt's own words, is supposed to eventually become a showcase for American free enterprise. Yep. And so if Disney had actually built Epcot, the city, and then the, the radial design industrial park right next door, yep. Central Florida wouldn't just be a world-class tourism destination, but it, it also potentially turned this project into a second Cape Canaveral, a place where thousands of highly paid folks would have worked full-time high-tech jobs. Yeah, remember back in the 60s, I mean, even if if you're in a factory job, right? Something like 25% of industrial work was unionized in the 60s. And those were good-paying jobs. I mean, those were the kinds of jobs where you got that job and you stayed there for life. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So... It's it's important to stress here, it's this aspect of Project Florida, rather than the Vacation Kingdom, that really powers the push. Oh, it's the jobs. Yeah, it's jobs. I mean, it's tourism and jobs, but, you know, tourism revenue can fluctuate, but jobs, you know, actually jobs can fluctuate too, but but people people like jobs because if you have the job, you buy a home Mm -hmm. and then you have to furnish the home, right? So there's a, every dollar that that you pay to someone in a high-end job probably gets circulated two or three times throughout the local economy. There's a multiplier effect that goes on there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of us were kind of startled at how quickly the dissolving of the Reedy Creek Improvement District came on the heels of the whole Disney pushing back against the parental rights and education, the the, the Don't Say Gay Bill. Mm -hmm. But think about this, Len. February 2nd, 1967. 
they have the presentation in the Park West Theater of what the plan is. May 12th of that same year. February to March, March to April, April, May. So three months later. Three months and 10 days to be exact. Okay. Right. The bill that gave Walt Disney Productions the right to, well, not only build 18-story tall castles and install cutting-edge transportation systems, by the way, without seeking the approval of the local planning commission, not to mention collecting taxes or, or for that matter, issuing bonds, it's signed into law. Not only signed into law, it's signed into law in a ceremony that's held in the garden of the governor's mansion. And Reekie-Proofed District was a bipartisan effort. It had bipartisan support. In that, I mean Hayden Burns, the governor who shared the dais with Walt and Roy at the Cherry Plaza Hotel in 65, was a Democrat, whereas Claude Kirk, the governor who actually signed the bill in May 67, was a Republican. In fact, Len, he was the first Republican governor the state of Florida had had since the Reconstruction. I mean, not for nothing, Jim, but I have talked to so many people in the last two weeks about this. And let me just say, off mm -hmm. the record, there is bipartisan support to this day for the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Both sides of the aisle understand the value that RCID brings to Central Florida. That is indisputable fact. If you mm -hmm. talk to people off the record, everyone knows what it's bringing to Central Florida. It's been interesting watching Disney's effort to sort of mitigate the circumstances. And in fact, it was fascinating about how the info got out about the bonds. <laughs> Jim, that's not even the opening salvo to Disney's defense here. I yeah. get that. But it, what's fascinating to me is how the info got out. It was shared with the investment community who in turn, I mean, it wasn't Disney who handed off that info. They gave it to the investment community and the investment community then distributed to reporters and that sort of thing, which then forced DeSantis you know, administration to sort of react like, yeah, we have a plan. We absolutely have a plan. Jim, this would be the point where we would have Morgan Freeman's voice saying they did not have a plan. <laughs> 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 they, they absolutely don't have a plan. And the reason why you know they don't have a plan mm -hmm. is because they are reacting instead of being proactive to these things that the financial community is bringing up. Right. And we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about that. There's a classic debating technique that when you're not winning the argument, you change the terms of the argument. Yeah. And what's supposedly now happening in Tallahassee is the notion of, especially since this has been something that DeSantis has been fundraising off of. Yes, there's the, the, the bond debt. But let's talk about what Disney hasn't done. You know, that 50 years ago, we, we all got behind this project because Disney was going to build a city of the future and an industrial park. And there were going to be all of these wonderful, high-paying, high-tech jobs. And where are those jobs? I mean, I see thousands of low-paying theme park jobs. Right. That's the part of this that we have to be ready for, is that as this story continues, and, and also let's remember, Len, this is May. We have six months till November where we have the midterms, and we also have Governor DeSantis coming up for re-election as governor of the state. There are infinite news cycles between now and then. and. Yeah. This is going to continue. And, and, but his press office, you know, his folks are looking now for different ways to attack this because, to be honest, they don't have a response to the, oh, yeah, the bond stuff. It's, it's, not, it's not just the bonds. We'll talk about this in a minute. The, again, the bonds are not even the opening salvo in this whole thing. It's, it's, not, even, it's not even the biggest problem that, that they face. But yeah, the fact that they were caught off guard by the bond thing mm -hmm. tells you how little they actually researched this before they passed the law. But here's the thing. DeSantis' office threw together that bill in days. Yep, three days. 
Yeah. On the other hand, we had the the bill that formed the Reedy Creek Improvement District that was sponsored and brought to the floor by folks in Orange and Osceola County, uh, gone over by the state's attorneys and Disney's own attorneys for months. This thing is airtight. It's solid. And you weren't ever going to take this thing down with something that was written in days. It's just not going to happen yet, no. I think what's happening behind the scenes, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Jim, but Disney is 100% talking to not only DeSantis's office, but also to key players on the Republican side of the Florida legislature to figure out a, a path forward here, right? Mm-hmm. Again, the Republicans who voted for this law know it is a terrible, terrible idea that will have mm-hmm. massive financial implications to the state, even if it goes through, and they mm-hmm. know that it won't, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it was a cynical attempt to manipulate the media, mm. draw your own conclusions, right? But what, what, what they're doing right now is saying, okay, you guys are fundraising off this. You got what you wanted out of it. Mm-hmm. We know or we're very confident in our legal position. Mm-hmm. Let's figure out a compromise here. And I think, Jim, we're going to need to see a couple of things here. Disney's need to, going to need to make some concessions. Mm-hmm. Florida is going to need to pass some law that makes some minor changes to the Reedy Creek Improvement District. But Disney's eventually going to get what they want while the Florida legislature is going to be able to say, okay, we've put them in their place. And I think we're already starting to see that because wasn't on Friday, wasn't there an announcement from Disney Oh, yes. About some people changes. I mean, not to say it's too on the nose to kill the messenger, but Jeff Morrill, the corporate communications officer who had not been on the job for four months at this point. And in classic break the bad news after the markets close on a Friday afternoon, they released this info that he's been let go and we have two brand new people in charge of corporate communications at the office. (laughs) But who comes straight from the Pentagon? Is Disney getting on a war fitting? Len, you tell me. No, they're not. I mean, I mean, Disney's working behind the scenes. And and again, I think everyone on both sides of this wants to see things maintained as the status quo. Everyone understands this is a political election. It's an election year. This is an issue, right? That drives people to the polls in election mm-hmm. years, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So again, I don't think anything's going to change, but we'll- I don't know. No, no, no. You're not wrong, but let's not overlook the significance of when you get folks who out of the Pentagon who are going to be handling your PR forward, that is a message to, to the folks in Tallahassee. It's like, yes, we're willing to work with you behind the scenes, but we're yeah. also not kidding around going forward. No. Here. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Disney is very confident in their legal position mm-hmm. and they're having very frank discussions with people saying, look, this is how this is going to go, mm-hmm. right? You guys will get something out of it and we need to get this out of it. They're, they're looking, essentially looking for a way for both sides to save face while keeping things pretty much the way they are now. I'm, I'm 100% convinced in that. And I, that's why I don't think you're going to see an escalation for, on Disney's side. I mean, that's certainly everything I'm hearing from folks in Burbank and thereabouts to the effect of like, you know, this is a subterranean behind the scenes operation yeah. at least till November. But that's on the other hand, yeah. you've chatted with all these lawyers. Why don't you, you I, I, I give you the floor to explain why <laughs> this isn't going to happen. All right. So I've talked to, uh, so a number of our listeners are, are lawyers with experience in this sort of thing. Um, without going into details, I will say um, that we have lawyers who have dealt with Disney and I'm going to leave it at that. Right. Okay. And a number of those lawyers volunteered to talk with me off the record about this exact question. Like if you were Disney, how would you fight this? And if you were the legislature, how would you fight back at that? And then if you were Disney, how would you respond to that? Right. So 
in any sort of like uh, conflict, right? You always want to map out not only the next move, but you want at least want to figure out what your opponent's response to your move is going to be, and then what your likely response to that is, right? So you want to plan a couple of of things ahead. Um, and let me just say this: I've spoken to five lawyers, and just for the usual disclaimers, none of them are my official lawyer. I am not their client. It's the usual disclaimer, right? Okay. But of the five people I spoke to, and the legislatures that I the legislators that I spoke to, including my own local officials. Everyone that I talked to in the last couple of weeks, Jim, there is not a single person who thinks that the Reedy Creek Improvement District will be dissolved. Literally none of them. And not only that, they don't even think it's going to be close, right? If you look at the Reedy Creek Improvement District charter, mm-hmm. it is not only pretty airtight, but the number of ways that Disney could attack this legislation are so many mm-hmm. that, according to one lawyer, it was like, it's not a question of, where you begin, it's where you end in the argument, right? Like, like how could I, how, when do I stop with my filing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of our, uh, one of our uh, listeners, we're going to call him Mark, who is mm-hmm. a lawyer who is deeply uh, invested in this thing, mm-hmm. um, sent in the following, which I'm going to paraphrase. Mm-hmm. And, and this is his explanation of how Disney might fight the Reedy Creek Improvement District dissolution. And Mark titled this uh, uh, paper that he wrote, A Salute to All Laws, but Mostly the Contract Clause. (laughs) Feel free to cut it down to a minute and a half. (laughs) (laughs) It was a three-hour salute to all laws, but mostly the contract clause. All right. So so the first thing that Mark says is Mm. that not a single person at Disney is even remotely surprised or unprepared Mm-hmm. to deal with the Reedy Creek Improvement District thing. They have thought about dealing with Florida in the case of the Reedy Creek Improvement District for 60 years, which is 10 more than the recent Disney World anniversary. That is how long that they've been trying to figure this out. And that Disney's legal team is as important to the company as motion pictures and theme parks, right? You just don't see it happen, right? Mm-hmm. But as one of our lawyer lawyer listeners, Mark, points out, Disney's legal team is the one that figured out how to maintain a majority ownership in the management company that operates Shanghai Disney, right? Yeah. Which is a theme park that operates in the People's Republic of China, where the Communist Party controls every single thing. So usually foreign companies don't get to sneeze, according to Mark, mm-hmm. without permission in China. Disney maintained ownership, right? So if the Disney legal team can handle the Chinese Communist Party and navigate the Chinese legal system, imagine how prepared they are for the state of Florida, Jim. No offense to the <laughs> to the to the lawyers in Florida, right? Okay. Right. So so yep. Mark, our listener friend, says legally speaking, the mental image you should have here is mm-hmm. of the Harlem Globetrotters playing the Washington Generals. Right. And he points out that Disney's legal team over the years is about as good legal representation as you could get. Even uh, 60 years ago, before Buzz Price prepared his 1961 report titled Recreation Potentials in Florida, Roy Disney and Dick Morrow had already retained William Wild Bill Donovan on Wall Street, who was one of the most powerful, smartest, and most expensive lawyers at the time to Mm -hmm. spearhead their legal operations. Uh, Donovan is the only person. Mm-hmm. who has received all four of the highest awards in the United States, including the Medal of Honor for his service in World War I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the former Attorney General of the United States. He headed the Office of Strategic Services during World War II. And he interrogated Nazis at Nuremberg. 
there's a statue of him in the lobby of the CIA. <laughs> I was about to say, I was waiting for the CIA part. Because when I think of Donovan, that's what I think of. So yeah. holy cow, he, he was their attorney. Okay. So so when you mentioned like mm. how uh, Disney got the guy who built the Panama Canal yep. to, be, to be in charge of drainage dishes, mm-hmm. Disney chose this guy for their yeah. legal effort, right? The okay. other one is Paul Hellowell. Mm-hmm. Right. So he was also uh, incorporated and he was also there for the uh, incorporation of Reedy Creek. Mm-hmm. He was also responsible for the United States' operations in Cuba from 1964 to 1975. <laughs> so our, our friend Mark said, this is not the junior varsity squad. Right. Jeez. <laughs> okay. A couple of other po- things that they point out. Mm-hmm. Did you know, uh, Jim, that Frank Wells, who worked for Disney, was both a Rhodes Scholar and a legal genius? When we lost him in 94, the company was never the same. Never right. the same. All right. So the other one um, that they that Mark mentions is a lawyer named Bruce Raymer, who is an entertainment lawyer of some renown. He's actually the guy that Bruce the Shark is named after in Jaws and Bruce from Finding Nemo are named after him. You have to be a pretty good lawyer, Jim, to have two different film franchises <laughs> name a character after you. And okay. that's... Only their lawyers who are Disney employees. They also hire mm-hmm. external law firms who are fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. Just name people, right? People who have represented, like when they did the Scarlett Johansson thing, mm-hmm. they hired, hired Daniel Petrocelli. Uh, he's famous for the civil suit against O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. He's also represented Enron CEO Jeff Skilling. Mm-hmm. He beat the U.S. Department of Justice attempts to block the AT&T and Time Warner merger. These are people who know what they're doing, Jim. And these are the external law firms, right? Yeah. Okay. So anyway, these people at Disney know how to prepare mm-hmm. for contingencies. And when they think about things, they're not thinking about like a year down the road or two years down the road. They are trying to think 100 years down the road, what can we do to protect Disney's interests, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So these people were present when the Reedy Creek Improvement District was being formulated. They put in what they wanted. They tried to make it as airtight as possible, right? Okay. So the 1967 bill that created the Reedy Creek Charter is long, but it has some super powerful clauses to protect itself against future interference, right? So there, and we've talked about this on a previous show, right? There's, there's not a lot that you can do with a current legislature that will bind future legislatures, right? Because you can't, you can't really do that. But there are some ways that you can get around that. And the two that Disney had put into the 1967 Reedy Creek thing uh, include a clause that protects that act, the Incorporation Act, from future amendments and then contract law in general, right? So Disney and Reedy Creek have, have been using both of those for almost 65 years. All right, so here's where it gets interesting. Section two of the Reedy Creek Act says that future Florida statutes and amendments would not apply to Reedy Creek unless they specifically repealed or amended section two of the act. So, Jim, let me ask you this question. Mm -hmm. The recent legislation that Florida enacted, does it specifically repeal section two? That's an excellent question. I do it does not, Jim, because it's only only a page long. Ah, okay. And the the act also says that if future laws conflict with the Reedy Creek Act – the Reedy Creek Act supersedes everything. <laughs> so they anticipated, Jim, a future where somebody tries to pass something that conflicts with it, mm-hmm. and they wanted to make sure that the Reedy Creek Act would maintain its supremacy. They actually put that in 60 years ago. 
Okay. So it's not foolproof, right? Mm-hmm. So our friend Mark, who's the lawyer, says not mm-hmm. foolproof, foolproof. It's not all, all powerful, mm-hmm. but it's a huge obstacle to overcome for future legislation, uh, right? Wow. So, and, and what Mark says is like, look, if this doesn't get resolved before the lawsuit gets filed, mm-hmm. that language is going to be the one of the first things that the lawsuit points out. Mm-hmm. All right. The other interesting thing that Mark pointed out is that this isn't the first time that Section 2 has come into play. Uh, the Florida Supreme Court, the Florida Attorney General, a whole bunch of state agencies, mm-hmm. and the research arm of the Florida legislature has all pointed out the supremacy of Section 2 in the past 50 years. And so this is this is the part I love. Right? So I was talking to a, another lawyer, two other lawyers besides Mark, right? Mm-hmm. And this part about Section 2, where the Florida legislature has already said that Section 2 prevails, right, mm-hmm. actually comes down to um, to this thing, right? So, um, so remember um, when we were talking last week mm-hmm. that there was, we mentioned that the Florida legislature had done its own research to mm-hmm. indicate that the Reedy Creek Improvement District can't be dissolved without the Reedy Creek Improvement District's own cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. And Jim, this is the research. It comes from 2004. It was okay. prepared, I think, Jim, because the Florida legislature was concerned about the potential of a Comcast takeover of Disney, which would then include Comcast running the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Remember, this was literally during the Save Disney campaign where out of the blue, you know, here's Michael fighting off Stanley Gold and Roy Disney right. and Comcast reaches out to the effect of, we can solve both of these problems. We'll buy the company. And I just go away. Don't bother me, kid. Right. Uh, but yeah, this would have come up at that exact moment. Okay. So uh, when this was happening, the Florida legislature produced a research document 20 pages long that explained what the Reedy Creek Improvement District was, all the various powers that were granted to it, and actually looked at whether Comcast could take it over and whether the state could stop it, Mm -hmm. right? And page five, uh, footnote eight, has a super relevant footnote here. And basically what it was saying was like, there's no way to to, to dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement District unless the Reedy Creek Improvement District wants to be dissolved itself. But the footnote says this, in addition, Subsequent statutory amendments would not apply to the Reedy Creek Improvement District if the amendment's effect were to impair existing contractual agreements of the district, comma, such as bonds. So, Jim, this is the Florida legislature themselves Mm -hmm. saying in 2004, we can't dissolve the Reedy Creek Improvement District. And even if we wanted to, the language in the bill says that we can't impair existing contracts such as bonds. All right. So when I ran this by my lawyers, right, by the lawyers who were who were helping us with this, I said, the first thing Disney's going to do is going to go to the judge and say, I know the Florida legislature passed this law, but back in 2004, they said they can't do this. And now we're confused, right? Right. And so I, so I likened it to me wearing a t-shirt into the courtroom mm-hmm. with a shoulder shrug emoji that says, my lawyer said this was a bad idea. And then and then the lawyers <laughs> responded, imagine you wearing that and me wearing a t-shirt that says, I'm with stupid, S-T-O-O-P-I-D. That's the legal equivalent of, Disney, of, of the legislature trying to talk around the fact that they've already decided this was a bad idea, right? Because if you're the judge, you're like, hey, you said this in 2004, right? Mm-hmm. 
And you said it couldn't be dissolved. And, and you believe that in 2005, mm-hmm. 2006, 2007, 2008, all the way up to like a month ago, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me what's changed. <laughs> and and of course, right, uh, that, that's where the Florida legislature is, is just having to defend itself. Disney doesn't even need to be involved in this conversation, right? Oh, okay. wow. And that's why, Jim, I think mm-hmm. it's a key part of Disney's strategy is mm-hmm. to tell the bondholders that the mm-hmm. state will assume the debt. For mm-hmm. one thing, the state can't assume the debt because the Reedy Creek Improvement District pays an interest rate that is higher than what Florida law allows. And keep in mind, it's not just existing bonds, right? But the Reedy Creek Improvement District has a ton of contractual agreements. They contract with the with Orange County they, uh, for uh, fire and police protection. They contract with Osceola County for the same thing, right? So as long as those contractual agreements exist, the legislature has already said we can't dissolve, right? The other reason that the state can't pay the bonds, even if they wanted to, is that some of those bonds aren't due until 2029. And again, you can't screw around with contract law, mm-hmm. right? You can't, you can't change the payees of a bond. You can't change the terms, right? That's because that's something that, that we've recognized for more than 200 years, right? Mm-hmm. All right. God, this is a room full of bear traps. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So uh, as, our, as our lawyer friend pointed out, the other issue that you have with the bonds is that the federal government has already said you cannot screw around with contracts. It's actually part of the Constitution. It's the contract clause. Uh, it originally existed so that federal and state governments and their citizens could borrow money because you're not going to lend money to anyone if a future law could legislate away the contractual obligations of paying back that loan, right? And what it means basically is like the contract clause says that governments can't impair or interfere with contracts, right? Bonds are contracts. Reedy Creek has issued their own since the beginning. That's part of the Reedy Creek improvement thing, right? Mm -hmm. And this is why the Reedy Creek improvement district went to the bondholders and said what they said last week, that that Florida was going to be on the hook Mm -hmm. for paying them back. They know that Florida can't be on the hook and they're trying to create the conflict, right? So um, there's a credit rating service called Fitch. Are you familiar there with There we Jim? go. Oh, okay. Please, please. I love this part of the story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, Fitch, Fitch rates debt. And basically what it is, it, it's like a, a FICO credit score, mm-hmm. but for people who issue debt, right? Yep. And Fitch came out this week mm-hmm. and specifically mentioned the Florida legislature's action when it downgraded the rating on the Reedy Creek Improvement District bonds. And they warned that it could apply the same criteria, not only to bonds issued by Disney, Mm -hmm. but to all bonds issued by other entities in Florida. And Jim, this is is Fitch carpet bombing the state, Mm -hmm. right? They're basically saying, if the legislature does this, Mm -hmm. every business that is issued bonds in Florida is gonna pay a higher interest rate. Here's why, okay. So Florida, uh, so just some background. Fitch gives a risk score from one to five mm-hmm. for various things that would impact a company's ability to pay back its debts. Mm-hmm. So they rate obvious things like management and revenue stability. And they also look at external factors. For example, if you're a company that does a lot of farming in California and you're looking to issue a 30-year bond, mm-hmm. they'll look at whether your farms are likely to have enough water for 30 years mm-hmm. because that would impact your ability to pay back the debt, Right. So a score of one means there's absolutely no risk at all to you paying this back. A three is average, so everybody gets a three by default. And five means, yeah, 
you've definitely got something here to worry about, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that Fitch looks at is whether the government you report to mm -hmm. follows the rule of law and is doing its part to combat corruption. Those are literally their words, rule of mm -hmm. law and corruption. On Thursday, here's what Fitch had to say about Florida. Mm -hmm. So the key ratings driver is the rule of law, institutional and regular, regulatory quality, and control of corruption. Here's what they said. The Reedy Creek Improvement District has an environmental, social, and governance relevance score of five, which is mm -hmm. the worst you can get. For rule of law, institutional and regulatory quality, control of corruption, and that's revised from a three, to reflect the state's action to dissolve the district, which points to a substantially reduced degree of independence from political pressure. These actions potentially diminish government effectiveness and could prove harmful to bondholders, which has a negative impact on the credit profile and is highly relevant to the negative watch action. So what they're saying is, if Florida can do this to Disney, they can do it to anyone, and that is terrible for investment. Okay. And that is huge because immediately, Jim, this dr drives up the borrowing costs, not only of Disney, mm -hmm. but of every company that does business in Florida. People who make those loans and who mm -hmm. buy those bonds are going to want higher interest rates and payments to compensate for the additional risk that the Florida legislature might target those companies specifically. And that is, Jim, terrible. Okay. So uh, so our, our, our friend Mark also pointed out uh, this. He said, as soon as the legislature announced it was looking at dissolution, the mm -hmm. Osceola and Orange County governments started warning the legislature that it was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And here's a quote. The moment that the Reedy Creek Improvement District dissolves, the money is gone, mm -hmm. just gone. And instead, what happens is all the debts and obligations of Reedy Creek get transferred over to Orange County. And that's a quote from Scott Randolph, who is the Orange County tax collector. Jim, the Orange County tax collector knows how taxes are collected in Orange County. I'm pretty sure Scott is good yeah. at his job, right? Yeah. So yeah. what they're saying is right off the top, it's $160 million and they don't have the money to cover it. Right. And they said, so Scott Randolph goes on to say, look, Orange County is going to find themselves in a $163 million hole, and they can't even fill that with property taxes, even if they've raised it to the maximum level allowed. Because again, the Florida law caps Florida property taxes at a level that is below what Disney is voluntarily paying for property taxes in Reedy Creek. And so that goes back to the fact that the Reedy Creek Improvement District Charter allowed Disney to charge more of itself in taxes. So Disney's already paying taxes at a rate that's higher than the state of laws. So when you hear the governor and legislature saying mm -hmm. that Disney's going to pay for it all and more, there is absolutely no factual basis right for that right now. It is simply not true. The people who have studied this, literally the guy that collects the taxes in Orange County, mm -hmm. says that they can't pay for it. So Mark goes back and says, this is why the Harlem Globetrotter analogy is apt. Um, this fight <laughs> will be something like the Harlem Globetrotter game in that we all watch with a large bucket of popcorn and a beverage of our choice. But at this point, it's pretty much like it's Disney and the Harlem Globetrotters are going to beat the Florida slash Washington generals. So that's that. The, he said the, the one way that the Washington generals can win this is if they burn everything down. Like if they if they completely scorch the earth and say, you know what, we're going to damage, we're going we're gonna to pass laws that target specific businesses. We don't care what it does to credit rating agencies 
or companies in Florida. Like literally, if we don't care what we have to do to win, mm-hmm. I don't know that they're going to do that though. That's kind of crazy. DeSantis won the governorship with 0.4% of the vote in the state. He won. <laughs> so this is something that, uh, that uh, so when I talked to one of the legislatures, a Republican mm-hmm. legislator in, mm-hmm. in central Florida, right? Mm-hmm. Who was, by the way, did not get quoted publicly, but he said he called his peers in the panhandle to mm-hmm. basically say, this is suicide. You're all insane. Mm-hmm. We can't mm-hmm. do this, right? So right. he pointed out that DeSantis won, won his last race by 40,000 votes. How many voters are there in Osceola County, Jim? Oh, 244,000. Yeah. 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 I mean, everyone thinks DeSantis is going to win re-election. I don't think that's really a question. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's going to be closer than than it should be. I agree. But at the same time, one of the things I think people watching this – need to to understand the very thing you were talking about, how much of what's going on right now is being handled through back channels, how Disney at this point is making a conscious effort to kind of run a dual track operation here, letting the yeah. investment community know, look, we've got this handled, but at the same time, we don't want to further antagonize. That's it. They're just not going to do it. And I think, number one, I, I think that the people who pass the law know that it was flawed. Mm-hmm. It, it, I would go. I mean, this is my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. They knew that that Disney would would be Disney's legal challenge would would defeat this law, and I think mm-hmm. that's actually part of the plan to mm-hmm. say, "Look, we tried, mm-hmm. but darn it, Disney's crafty lawyers outsmarted us this time. There's nothing we can do, right?" So that's an everybody win situation. My sense is that's sort of the uh, the thing. But a couple of other uh, interesting things around the legal strategy. So all of the lawyers that I spoke to. Um, again, think that Disney will win. But in terms of strategy, the thing that they said mm-hmm. is Disney's first option is going to be to argue that the dissolution law doesn't apply to the Reedy Creek Improvement District. So mm-hmm. there are people going around saying that Disney could make a First Amendment or Fourth Amendment case. They mm-hmm. could do that. But they said it's it's absolutely riskier than just mm-hmm. saying the law is badly written. So mm-hmm. uh, all of the lawyers I, I spoke to said that Disney will look for a venue with a judge who is an absolute stickler for the process of legislating. That is, they're looking for a judge who wants to make sure the law is well-researched, that Mm -hmm. it is crystal clear in its meaning and application, and has every I dotted and every T crossed. And then Disney will argue that the dissolution law was hastily written and it was sloppy with mile-wide loopholes and Mm -hmm. fatal contradictions, right? So here's Here's some of what that strategy looks like. And again, this comes from like 10 pages of notes, right? Mm-hmm. I mentioned already that the um, that the Reedy Creek Improvement District, that the Florida legislature has already said that the Reedy Creek Improvement District can't be dissolved without Reedy Creek Improvement District's own cooperation, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And we mentioned the bonds and the other contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's step one right there. And every lawyer I spoke to said the state has a very, very uphill battle with the bond argument. You simply can't change the terms of a bond unilaterally. And the fact that they allowed the bonds to be sold after they passed a law that said, we will not change the terms of the bond, make it even harder. Right. Mm -hmm. But here's a second strategy, Jim, that we haven't talked about that's super interesting. So the law dissolving the Reedy Creek Improvement District says this, uh, notwithstanding section 189.0722, of the Florida statutes, any independent special district established by a special act prior to the date of ratification of the Florida Constitution on November 5th, 1968, and which was not reestablished, re-ratified, or otherwise reconstituted by a special act or general law after November 5th, 1968, 
is dissolved effective June 1st. An independent special district uh, affected by this subsection may be reestablished after June 1st, 2023, pursuant to the requirements and limitations of the chapter, right? Okay. So, Jim, the phrase here that's going to get a lot of focus is reestablished, re-ratified, or otherwise reconstituted by a special actor general law after November 5th, 1968. Mm -hmm. And the lawyers specifically focused on the definition of re-ratified, right? So, what does re-ratified mean, Jim? Re-legitimized? Re, I mean, ratified literally means, you know, this is law. It's exactly it. Okay, yeah. So the first legal dictionary I looked at, which mm -hmm. is Wex, yeah. said that ratification is essentially passing laws. Right. right. So the question then is, has a law been passed mm -hmm. since November 5th, 1968, or another act? Has, has that happened since November 5th, 1968, which has re-ratified or reaffirmed the existence of the Reedy Creek Improvement District? Jim... There are dozens of examples of this. All right. So Disney's going to argue that the Florida legislature has repeatedly re-ratified the powers of the Reedy Creek Improvement District through special acts or general laws since November 5th, 1968. For example, Florida Statute 163.3167 specifically mentions the power of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. That statute has been examined and updated in 2003, 2004, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2019, and 2021. Jim, sometimes more than once per year. Disney will argue that each of those acts updating that statute has reaffirmed the power of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. That is, Disney's going to say that the legislature knew what they were doing when they examined that specific law, you know, 57 times over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. That the Reedy Creek Improvement District is specifically mentioned and the legislature reaffirmed those powers each time they didn't remove or change those powers. Like they're going to say, look, you know what you were doing here. Like this law is clear. You updated it. You had the chance to change it and you didn't. And by not changing it and keeping the law the same, you re-ratified the existence of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Well, now, speaking of knowing what they were doing, I, I'm fascinated by the June 1st, 2023 language that's written into when this is supposed to be dissolved. It's a cooling off period, Jim. No, that's it exactly. That, that, you know, is, I mean, if you want yeah. to talk about how cynical they were going into this, it's like, okay, let's kick the can. Let's kick the can down the road. We're going to give it, yeah, it's enough time to fund raise and everybody to cool off, Jim. No, no, that's exactly the, the fact that it, it is so far beyond the midterms, you know, the, the, the November election that, that, oh, that thing, that thing we were so concerned about that we, we're not concerned about that is anymore. Is that still a thing? Oh, is yeah, we still a on. thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but. Uh. The, the other thing is, is Florida Statute 189.09, which was passed in 2018, I think, specifically mm. mentions that the legislature knows that the Reedy Creek Improvement District has the power to do comprehensive planning as part of its charter. And again, Disney's going to look at that and say, you guys knew what you were doing here and didn't change it. And that's that's reaffirmation. But there's tons of other examples. So remember that the Reedy Creek Improvement District reports to a bunch of state entities around things like building codes or environmental protection and whatnot, right? Every one of those entities reviews Reedy Creek's annual development plans to ensure they meet the requirements of any newly enacted legislation. So this is the Florida Department of Environmental Protection. This is the Public Service Commission, the Department of State, the Department of Transportation, Agriculture, Fish and Wildlife, and then, Jim, dozens of regional planning councils, the counties and everything. So Disney is going to argue that any law passed after 
November 5th, 1968, which requires Reedy Creek to report anything at all to the state mm-hmm. and for which Reedy Creek and the state have agreed that Disney's compliant mm-hmm. is reaffirmation. And basically, you say, look, you guys have worked with us for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Every time a law changes, you have required us to ensure that our operation of Reedy Creek comports with those laws. Mm-hmm. That is reaffirmation. You haven't challenged it in any other way since then. But Jim, that's not even my favorite one. Mm-hmm. My favorite one is where the Florida legislature actually sued the Reedy Creek in 1968 around the issuance of bonds. Like, dude, we've been here before, right? <gasps> And, and the Florida legislature lost. The, the Florida Supreme Court <laughs> reaffirmed the lawful creation of the Reedy Creek Improvement District on November 27, 1968. Or let me just point this out, Jim, with 22 days to spare related to the law dissolving the Reedy Creek Improvement District. I know this lawsuit because this was the initial set of $40 million for the buy. Yeah. It was for the, the site prep, the road building. It was this notion, wait a minute, you guys can't actually do that. Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> the Supreme Court was like, no, you you granted these powers and yeah. you knew what you were doing. The, the Supreme Court shut down every one of the legislature's arguments. Holy Every God. one of them. Like, it, it was a complete victory for the Reedy Creek Improvement District. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. So Disney would have to argue that the special act there is the lawsuit. Um, interestingly, I went back and looked at the Florida statutes, and they don't enumerate what a special act is. Like, they, they say, here are some things that are special acts, but it's mm-hmm. not exhaustive. So if I'm Disney, I'm arguing that the Florida legislature already sued over this exact thing, mm-hmm. and the Florida Supreme Court explicitly ruled for Reedy Creek. And that's reaffirmation. And again, the lawyers told me, he's like, yeah, that may not be you know, the, the best winning argument, but you throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Let Disney argue it. I'm sorry. Let the legislature argue that the Supreme Court didn't know what they were doing. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. The other thing I love, Jim, is this, right? And this, is my, this might be my favorite, right? Mm-hmm. The dissolution law only applies to independent special districts. It specifically says the words independent special districts. Do you know what the difference is between an independent special district and a dependent special district? No, enlighten me. An independent district is not uh, subject to or attached to any municipality in Florida. Mm -hmm. It operates independently, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. A dependent special district is attached to a county or town and basically says we're the backstop, we're the guarantee Mm -hmm. for everything that happens within the special district. So it's not clear how it would happen, but it's possible for the Reedy Creek Improvement District to just declare itself a dependent special district, and they may be able to pick the venue that they're dependent on. Jim, in addition to establishing the Reedy Creek Improvement District in 1967, mm. what did what other two things did that act establish? We're not talking about the two municipalities, are we? What are those two municipalities, Jim? The city of Lake Buena Vista, and what is the other one? What are they called? The city of Bay Lake. Oh my God, Jim, yes. Yeah. Jim, who controls the two municipalities of Bay Lake and, Reedy, and Lake Buena Vista? A, a certain mouse, am I correct? Yes. A certain company called the Walt Disney Company. Jim, how much property does Bay Lake encompass of the entire Reed Creek Improvement District? Oh God. 95%, Jim. <laughs> Oh my so, so one option, and again, I don't know that this is the winning legal strategy. Lawyers were sort of like, you know, honest. But all Disney has to do is say, you know what? We're now dependent on, we're no longer an independent special district. We are mm. dependent on Lake Buena Vista, which Disney also controls. And that gives you 95% of the control. And automatically the law that was passed doesn't apply. And Jim, this is why the Florida legislatures know they have to pass additional laws. 
to, to do this because there are so many loopholes in this existing law. There is absolutely no way it will affect the Rainy Creek Improvement District. This is just the beginning. We haven't even talked about the First Amendment or Fourth Amendment issues, which again, not, not the first route for people. But this is the thing that lawyers came up with, Jim, in like four days. Jeez. <laughs> Can we get a Washington General's jersey with DeSantis printed on it? Because I, I really feel like this might need to be a thing. Even if you believe that, the, mm. that Disney shouldn't have these powers, mm -hmm. the law is so poorly worded. That there's no way it's enforceable. With our June 1st, 2023 language, the cooling off period, even, again, everyone I've spoken with at Disney is just the effect of we keep our head down, you know, till after November, and that's when we start rolling this out. But we wanted to be sure to get this language out there uh, this week, just so the investment community yeah. is like, simmer down, don't worry about it, we're taking care of it. I will say, of, of the, uh, so in addition to talking to lawyers mm -hmm. and, you know, and and talking to led, you know, our local elected officials, mm -hmm. I have talked to a few people from Wall Street, mm -hmm. none of them think that they're, and the Wall Street people are not talking as finance people, they obviously have their own legal teams that mm -hmm. they're asking to look at this. Yep. None of them think that Disney would lose a lawsuit. None of them. Is, I, I literally have not talked to a single person who thinks that there is any way that Disney could lose a legal case here. None. And I, I mean literally zero. Super interesting stuff. Absolutely. And, and by the way, please thank the, the five lawyers you spoke with. That the, I totally appreciate their insights yeah. here. And if Bob Chapek is listening now, at least he's going to sleep a little better at night. A little. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure his lawyers are telling you the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com and subscribe because you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, it's the history of the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies influence on Disney theme parks. And special guest Christina Harrison will give us all the latest on food at Walt Disney World. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be serving up chili-spiced steak tacos, ancho-rubbed tofu burritos, and more at the 2022 Gutenberg Chamber Walking Taco Firework Fundraiser. Because, Jim, if, any, if there's anything Aaron stands for, it's tacos and blowing stuff up. Uh, it's this coming Thursday, May 5th, at Gosbo Ingleside Park on River Park Drive in beautiful downtown Gutenberg, Iowa. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and radar show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.